Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. Good morning. It's good to see you all again. Um, I, lot, good to see you, many of you again and some of you for the first time, so it's wonderful to be back with you. Um, Raleigh asked me to, to preach on discipleship, um, and so I, I fumbled with what verses to choose um, because there are a great deal of them. Um, and on Saturday, I changed my verses. So, um, uh, so we're gonna we're gonna learn together, I think. Um, but I want you all uh, quickly to turn in your Bibles to James chapter one. James chapter one. I know I'm sorry I'm turning you from our text this morning, but I do want to start here in James chapter one and looking at verses 22 through 25. <clears throat> it says this. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The reason I read that to you this morning is because we embark on another year, another year of service to the Lord, and another year of striving after Christ together. And the reason I read that to you is because it is so easy to show up here on Sunday morning and hear a good message and be encouraged on Sunday morning and then forget about it for the next six days. And that is not an option because if we really believe what we believe about Scripture and that it really is the Word of God, that it really truly is His spoken Word, then it must have real true impact on our lives this week. It cannot wait until next year. We cannot put it off until later. It must happen now. And so my, my, really my plea with you this morning is that as we hear from the words of Scripture from Paul and Ephesians and, and from other places in Scripture, please consider, not even consider, but really actually do the words of Scripture as it pertains to discipleship and, and how we might live out the Christian life with one another. Now, uh, let's go back to our text in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4. And I, I want to move through our text uh, rather quickly this morning, uh, because I have an extreme amount of application for you. And so, um, we'll, 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 we'll spend some time here in the text, and then I want to move in a couple other places in Scripture. So, let's begin in verse 11. He says this, he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds, and the teachers... Who's he? He is Christ. Christ gave all of these people to the church. That's what he did. He's given all these people to the church for what purpose? Well, obviously many different purposes because all of these people serve different roles in the life of the church. There was the apostles, the 12 that we know very well, that, that shared the gospel, that traveled the world, were missionaries, that, that taught the doctrines of God continually, we have the prophets from the Old Testament that, that foretold of Christ to come. We have the evangelists who, who travel the world, and we still have many of those today, thank the Lord. We have the shepherds and teachers, that's the, the many elders that are here at our church even, that, that are continually working to teach you and up into maturity. But why, why ultimately is, has, has 
Christ done this? Why has he given the saints these people? Well, he's going to answer that for us in the next verse. He says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. That's why. That's why Christ has given all of these people to the church, so that you can do the work, not them, not just them, but you also. Uh, Raleigh kind of alluded to it in his, in his introduction this morning by saying that we can't just say that we're following Jesus and then coast into the kingdom. That's not how Christ has designed it. That's not living out the Christian life. It is not in pursuit of Christ. Instead, we must be in humble service to him, continually doing the work of ministry. What is the work of ministry? The work of ministry is, well, discipleship. The work of ministry is preaching, teaching, loving, serving, giving. All of these things are the work of ministry. It also says for the building up of the body of Christ. That's you. So you can do the work and that you can be built up into Christ. Not, not just a, a bystander to the work that's happening, but a partaker of it. That's one of the most wonderful things about, about Christ's death on the cross is that somehow, after that, we get to share the gospel with other people. And we get to partake, not, in his, not necessarily in his atonement, but in the process of bringing others to Christ. That somehow we play some minuscule role in bringing, leading others to Christ. What an, a, a, a wonderful opportunity that we get that we have no place in really having. But he's given these people to the church to build them up and to equip them for the work of ministry. Literally giving them the tools. Giving them the tools to do the work. That's why Christ has given these people to the church. But he continues. He says he's given these people to the church to do the work of ministry until all people attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is, this is the opposite of coasting into the kingdom. This is coming to a real, true, mature understanding of who God is. Not an elementary understanding, but a, but a full and, and comprehensive look about who the Son of God is. This is not just that Jesus loves, and he does, but he, he has many more attributes about himself. And, and, you know, there's even some very confusing passages. I think a very common phrase uh, is that, you know, God uh, loves a sinner and loves a sinner and hates the sin. Well, there's many passages in Scripture where it says that God hates the sinner. He does. He says it. Jacob I loved, and Esau I hated. Riddled in, in passages of Scripture. We must come to a mature understanding of who Christ is, not just an elementary one. Finally, in verse 14, it says, Christ has given these men, really, so that we can be matured, not tossed to and fro. What does it say? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The expectation is that we're no longer going to be children in the word of God, but that we will attain to maturity of it. The expectation is that you will come to a greater, fuller knowledge of who he is, so that when trials come, when, when temptations come, you have the word of God equipped with you to avoid temptation, to refuse sin, to persevere through temptations and trials. 
this is what these verses are expecting of us. But he tell, you know, Paul, Paul in these verses, he tells us who and why, but he didn't really tell us how. doesn't seem like he tells us how. But I want to review these verses real quickly with you. Go back to verse 11. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Okay, so we're equipping and we're building up. How are we doing that? Verse 13, Until we attain to the unity of the faith, how are we becoming unified? Of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, how are we becoming mature? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by deceitfulness, by, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. How is all of this going to take place? It, it, are, are we just going to magically sit here on Sunday morning and, and look at the ceiling and just hope that you know, eventually the, the truth of God's word is just going to fall in? You know, maybe if I put my Bible above my head and shake it real hard, it'll fall into my head. No, that's not going to happen, right? Are, are we just, just because we gather here on Sunday, that means that we're just going to be unified? I, 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 we're certainly unified in Christ, but are, but are we unified in, in everything that we believe, as, as, Flip, as Paul says in Philippians? No. No, that's not going to happen. Are we matured in the faith because we have an open Bible sitting on our lap? No, we have to read it, right? But, but by what God created means, is God going to equip the saints and bring them to equip them for ministry, really? Well, there's two main ways. We're only going to talk about one this morning. There's preaching and there's discipleship. God has given the church preaching and discipleship. These are God-created things, and they're wonderful. And we're only going to talk about discipleship. You may be really familiar with the term discipleship. We throw it around easily. We, we, we I think, very, very uncaringly throw it around like we know exactly what it is. But unfortunately, I don't think that we do. We can, we can have a strong desire for discipleship, we can want that for, for our other people, but ultimately, if we're not doing it, it doesn't really matter what we want. If we, if we don't disciple one another, then it really just doesn't matter. We have to be doing it. It's not an option. And so for the remainder of our time, I want to take us really through three parts. I want to take you through the definition of discipleship. I want to take you through the demand of discipleship and the duty of discipleship. And so our definition, what is discipleship? Now, the interesting thing about discipleship is that we actually don't have the word in the Bible. Uh, the, the word does not, does not appear in, in Greek at all, uh, but we have the outcome of discipleship, and that is just simply a disciple. It's the, it's the Greek word mathetes, it, and it, it's not a complicated word. It's very simple. It means this. It's simply a learner. A learner. That's what a disciple is. It's someone who learns, a pupil, a, a person who sits under the teaching of another person. It's very simple. Now, we, we kind of take this word and we use it unknowingly in the English language uh, by really saying the word apprentice. That's really kind of what the word is uh, it, because it's a, it's a non-religiously charged term. You know, you can be a, an apprentice in plumbing or electrical work. Um, and, and undoubtedly, the word disciple is religiously charged. And so we're going to put the word discipleship in the context of the Christian life. I want to give you this definition, and I'm so sorry. I changed it at 3 o'clock this morning, so that's wrong, your handouts are wrong, just don't even worry about it. Um, but really, the defini- this, is, this is a short, concise definition of what discipleship is. Well, excuse me, of a disciple. A disciple is someone who engages in a life-on-life relationship centered around the teaching of Scripture and is therefore matured in Christ. I'm going to read that one more time. 
A disciple is someone who engages in a life-on-life relationship centered around the teaching of Scripture and is therefore matured in Christ. The outcome is maturity, and the means is teaching. That's discipleship. You know, and this is exactly what Colossians 1.28 says. And we'll, I, I would encourage you to write that down, highlight it, star it. It says this, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Warn everyone, teach everyone, and result, maturity. When we teach others the word of God and they have a saving relationship with Christ, the Spirit does not allow that person to live in spiritual infancy. It's not possible. Not possible. You know, this is exactly what, what the author of Hebrews talks about in Hebrews chapter 5. It says this, and starting in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. In other words, they're not and they should be. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Infants, he's talking about these, these baby Christians who, who should by this time be, be titans of the faith, yet they are not. They should be teaching those others, but they are not. They're living in spiritual infancy. They're still drinking the milk of the Spirit. And he's saying, that is ridiculous. You ought to be teaching. But now I have to reteach you the oracles of God because you have lived so long in spiritual infancy that I have to reteach you the basics again. Now, the definition I gave you was, was really quite simple. But what's really the expectation or the demand of discipleship? What's the, what's the demand of discipleship? I need you to understand that, that really the expectation is discipleship. That is the expectation. The expectation is that we are going to do the work. You know, our text this morning alluded to it in verses 12 and 13. Um, is that, that says that to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And then in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, all saints, everyone, everyone's going to do it. It is not an, it's not an option. This is, this is exactly Jesus' words in the Great Commission that Raleigh just read. It's, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So he says, Go make disciples. Here's the expectation. Here's what you need to do. Once you have your disciples, what are you going to do? Baptize them. And then goes on to describe exactly what discipleship looks like. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Make disciples and then do the discipleship. It's no good if you just have a bunch of disciples and you don't tell them anything. You have to teach them. And then this verse in, in 2 Timothy 2. Paul's talking to Timothy encouraging him, he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust a faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's a quick verse, but there's a lot going on. I want you to notice really the multi-generational nature of, all the, of this verse. He's saying, Paul and the many witnesses are teaching Timothy 
who he's supposed to entrust to faithful men who will teach others also. There's four generations of people there that Paul is saying, you need to teach these people so that we will have a perpetual cycle of discipleship for the next 2,000 years, and here we are. And that's exactly what's happened. But we can't break that cycle. I don't think Christ would let that cycle break anyways. But the thing is that we need to bring all of you and those around us to maturity in Christ, in the word of God. Cannot live in spiritual infancy. Now, the duty of discipleship. Really, what, is, what does disciple actually look like? I know I gave you the definition, but sometimes it's hard to reach to go from definition to actual practice. I think to, to kind of help us, I, I'll tell you some things that discipleship isn't so that maybe we can narrow it down. I have five things. Discipleship isn't mentorship. It is not mentorship. Oxford, Oxford, Oxford Dictionary defines mentorship as this. The advice and help provided by a mentor to a less experienced person over a period of time, especially as part of a formal program at a company, university, etc. I know that sounds really close to my definition I said a little bit ago, but it's separated by the infinite chasm, which is the word of God. A, 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 a relationship that is void of the word of God is simply a mentorship and has absolutely no positive benefit to you for eternity. None. So do not, mentorship can be wonderful, you can learn wonderful things, but if you are not learning the word of God, it is useless to you. Useless to you as a Christian. It's not mentorship. We, because ultimately, when we, when we learn from another person just the, how they live and how they manage their money and how they, etc., we're simply learning how the life of another person lives that's just another sinful person. We want to live our lives like the infinite sinless God. That's who we want to be. And we're only done, well, it only happens by the transforming word of God. Second thing, discipleship isn't friendship. Discipleship is not friendship. And I want to caveat this by saying all, some of these things are inside of discipleship, but they are not the definition of it. Discipleship isn't friendship. Listen, watching football games together is fun. Going into the, to the fair is a great thing. Hanging out together, going to movies, these are all wonderful things. And, and really, I, they're, they're wonderful things that you can do as part of discipleship, but they cannot stop there. You cannot bring dis- friendship and then stop at friendship. You, you must bring in the word of God. You must bring in real intentional conversations. Because I know some of you have had friends for your whole lives and you've never talked about Jesus with them, ever. You have a great friend, I'm sure, but you have a great friend that doesn't know Christ. And that's, that's, that's not helpful to, to them and it's not helpful for the kingdom and it's not a good look on Christ because you claim to know Christ yet you don't care to share about him. Discipleship isn't mentorship, it's not friendship, and it's not scholarship. Discipleship is not scholarship. It's not mind dumping on another person. It's not, let me show you how much I know. It's not just pouring over, look, look at everything that I can possibly think. No, no, it's far more personal. We need to be scholarly in our discipleship, absolutely. We need to be accurate because we'll be held accountable for it. We can't, we can't just make it up as we go. 
That's why we have the Bible. It's a wonderful thing. It tells you exactly what it thinks. God says exactly what he thinks in his word. And we can, we can know it. It's right here. You're holding it. We can know exactly what God has said. But we can't simply stay at a scholarly level. Because I think it's, it's much of our, our desire to gain the knowledge of the word of God, yet we have no desire to actually use it. Why is that? Because we're stuck in scholarship. We want to we sit back and talk high theology. But talking high theology only, if it has no real impact on the heart, is useless. We, we, the, the, the word of God will and must take hold in the life of the believer, in the heart of the believer. Discipleship is not mentorship, it's not friendship, it's not scholarship, and it's not partial. There is no person who is too old, too young, too smart, too dumb to be discipled, nor be a disciple maker. It is not partial. It doesn't choose. It is for every single believer. No one is disqualified from discipleship. In fact, all of you need to be discipled, and if you have been discipled, then you need to be discipling other people. That is the pattern. That is the, that, that is the, the model of which Christ is defined. Discipleship isn't mentorship. It's not friendship. It's not scholarship. It's not partial, and it's not optional. It's not optional. We do not get a caveat in the Great Commission that says, go therefore and make disciples unless or if it's, you know, convenient for you, no, it's not optional. You have to. It is the expectation from Christ. And really, it's a command from Christ, which then, if we don't partake, I would argue is sinful. We have to do this. We have to do it together with one another. It's not any of those things. You know, in Jesus, his ministry is really what it looks like really the groundwork for, for what it is going to look like for all of you. Now, Jesus had 12 disciples. Please, don't get 12 disciples. That's not, that is not the standard. You, you don't have to go from, it doesn't start at 12 and go up. Okay, you're allowed to have one person. I, I, would, I would really recommend having, a, if, if you're skilled enough, a maximum of three people. That, that, is, that, is, uh, that is enough people that you can have a, a real, intentional, life-on-life relationship with those people. But when you have 12, you're not Jesus, sorry. You know? if, you, if you can somehow pull off 12 and do it effectively, I'm not going to stop you. But, uh, but you know, be careful. But really, this is what he did. He, he started his ministry, and he chose 12 guys. He chose his disciples. That's what he did. Went up, picked them, hand-picked them. Picked him out of tax collector booths, picked him off of the boats, said, you guys are coming with me. And they went. He spends the next three years teaching them every single day. Every single day. Now, I'm not telling you that you have to teach them every single day, but Jesus was very consistent. Very consistent. But not only was he teaching them, he was living life with them. He knew what was going on in their hearts. He was crying with them. He was rejoicing with them. And really, we should imitate this in our own discipling. He he took a very high interest in his disciples. He was intimately involved in all of their personal affairs. I think of Jesus and Peter's mother-in-law. He knew what was going on. He went and healed her. Very intimately involved. 
He knew various sins that they were prone to committing. Peter, (laughs) you will deny me three times. (laughs) He was always rebuking, correcting, admonishing, encouraging, loving his disciples. They weren't just, the disciples weren't just an afterthought for Jesus. They were really his, his family. That's what they became. They became the very closest people to him, which required him to, to admonish, rebuke, and correct him. If you think about your, maybe your life group that you go to or the Bible study that you're in or your closest friends that you have here at the church, do you feel comfortable, if you find them in sin, correcting, rebuking, and admonishing them? Because that is exactly what Christ calls you to do. And that's what real discipleship looks like, is pushing people to maturity in Christ. And that calls for very uncomfortable conversations sometimes. Very uncomfortable conversations. But for, obviously for Jesus, he knew what he was doing. Not only, the modeling discipleship was just inerrant. Obviously he's doing that. But he was really pushing these guys to maturity. He was bringing them up so that they would know him. And that's exactly what Peter testifies. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's what he wanted. He says, my father has revealed this to you, not flesh and blood. And then you read like three verses later and what he said, get behind me, Satan, to the same guy, rebukes him. We have to be willing to to rejoice with one another in our discipleship and also correct and admonish one another. We have to. But our life-on-life relationships are going to require sacrifice. We cannot, like I said earlier, coast into the kingdom. It's not how it works. Certainly, Christ is going to save you, and there's nothing that you can do to save yourself. But that's really just not how, God, how Christ has designed the Christian life. He has designed Christian life, the part where he says, pick up your cross and follow me. That part. Not follow me as you skip on into the kingdom. No, it's going to be hard. I hope none of you have the expectation that living the Christian life is easy, because that's never promised. Very hard. It's very hard to turn from everything that, that your flesh desires and turn to Christ. That's hard. That's hard. And then telling somebody else that they're in sin and they need to repent. <laughs> and then that you might lose friends over it because of how strongly you feel about sin and how strongly you feel about Christ. It's hard. But at the core of this all, at the core of discipleship, is the teaching of the word of God. It cannot be void. It must be the centerpiece of everything that we do. It must be the centerpiece of what we do here at church. It must be the centerpiece of what we do during worship. It must be the centerpiece of what we do with our students on Sunday morning and through the week. It must be the centerpiece of what we do in our discipleship. It must be the centerpiece of every single facet of the Christian life. It's not optional. We must have the word of God. Okay. Now, I have a lot of closing thoughts. Um, I'm really going to give you three sets of applications. Um, And the the last two are very similar, but extremely different in length. Um, But firstly, I want to address a, a select group of you in this room. And that is you parents. I'm not a parent. I'm not claiming to be. don't have children. However, I have worked with your children for long enough to know what that room looks like, what's going on in their lives, 
what's happening at home. Parents, you must be discipling your children. Before you even consider discipling another person at this church, you must be discipling your children. That is not optional. That is not a suggestion from, from Scripture. And, and really, the onus is on you fathers. Really, Ephesians 6, 4, he says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is, this is the section where, where Paul is addressing husbands and wives, and he says, to you fathers, teach your children. And some of you are saying, well, I don't know what to say to them. Then learn. Read your Bible. Teach them what you know. Don't guess. Probably one of the biggest mistakes you can make in your teaching and discipleship is guessing what the Word of God says. Oh, I heard that, you know, somebody said this one time. Or, or, or I, I heard this on, on, I saw this, read this thing on Facebook, and oh, it seems nice. We're, we're not Facebook theologians. Please don't do that. Read your Bible. Teach your children what you know. Mothers, you're not safe from it either. 2 Timothy 1.5, we really get a model. Says this to Timothy, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Is this a biological faith that's passed on from generation to generation? No. It's a, it's a faith that Eunice and his mother taught him. They taught him the Word of God. That's what they did. Do those things. The volunteers of the church, those that teach back there, they're wonderful. They love your children. They teach them the word of God. But do you know how much time those volunteers get to spend with your children? Give or take 100 hours a year. 100 hours a year. It's about two hours a week. That's almost nothing. Do you know how much time they're spending at school seeing whatever they're seeing there? Do you know how much time that maybe they're seeing watching TV with you? And seeing the, the terrors that the, the world is putting on them, you have only a few short years. Only a few short years to disciple your children. Don't waste your time. Don't waste it. Because here's the thing you will never regret teaching your children about Scripture, but you will always regret not. You will forever regret not teaching your children. Don't waste your time. Don't forfeit your children to the world. Don't sacrifice them on the altar of entertainment or sports or grades. Teach them the word of God. And it requires you to know it too. And, and really the way that, that, that discipleship is best modeled in the home is if you are pursuing Christ personally. Are you sitting at the dinner table reading scripture? Are you and at the evening, instead of watching a football game, sorry, I know it's Sunday, reading scripture. Are you wasting your time on things that you will never remember and things that you will probably for regret? Don't waste your time. You have only a few short years. I know for some of you, even I have a brother that does not love the Lord. And that's sad, <laughs> to be honest. It, it, it really stinks. And some of you have children that have gone away that are not following Jesus. But some of you have, still have children in the home. Teach them the Bible. Make sure they know it. Make sure they know what they believe. Not just you. 
teach your children. These last two applications are um, very similar. One I'm gonna, is very, very short, concise. It's this. This is, this is really the application of discipleship. Find someone who knows more than you and be taught. Find someone who knows less than you and teach them. That's as simple as it gets. You can, with your pen right now, think of someone that you know, this guy, this gal, definitely knows more than me. I want to learn what she knows. She has been, she has been a, a veteran Christian for 30 years, and she is, fervently studies her Bible, and she prays, and she, she's worthy of imitating. He's worthy of imitating. Go find that person. And then think, oh, you know, this person just started coming to the church about a month ago got baptized. You know, I've been following Jesus for 20 years. Go teach them. They they, they need someone to teach them. They need to be discipled. They need to be discipled. I'm sure some of you in this room have been following Jesus for maybe decades and have never been discipled, have never been trained in the word of God. You must be discipled. that's That's why I said it's not partial. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. You must be discipled. That's the expectation. Find someone who knows more than you and be taught by them. Find someone who knows less than you and teach them. Go do it. It's the expectation. It's a command. Don't think that this is an optional thing. It's not. It's not optional. Okay, now, you have to bear with me for the next couple minutes because I'm gonna give you maybe... A, a halfway blueprint of what it really looks like to disciple another person. Or really, not necessarily conversation by conversation, but really what, what can it look like? What, what should it look like? What are the components of discipleship? And I don't want you, you're not going to have room to write it down, so I'm sorry, but, I, but these notes can be shared later if you really want them. And it's really going to be based off of many of the things that Christ did in his own ministry. And, and, much, from my, and much from my own experience and, and others, but it starts with this. Firstly, find someone to disciple. One to three people. Great expectation. One to three people. Even if that person's not a Christian, what an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. If that somebody's willing to sit down and talk to you about the Bible, wow. Don't run away from that. Take it. Run with it. Share the gospel with them. Teach them the word of God. What an awesome opportunity that you get to see this person that is dead in their sins come to life in Christ right before your eyes. And somehow, some way, supernaturally, we're taking part in that. What a bizarre reality that we get to take part in the, in the discipleship, in, the, in the, really the, the coming to Christ moment of these people. We're not saving them. We have no part in that. Thank goodness we don't have part in that. <laughs> Find someone to disciple. Secondly, find a time to meet with this person every single week. Every single week. Discipleship is not a month-to-month thing. It's not a biannual meeting. No. Discipleship is every single week. Some of your schedules may even allow more than once a week. Some of you are retired, have time on your hands. Maybe you want to meet every single morning. Don't let me stop you. Go for it. Meet every single morning. Talk about the Word of God. Live life together. But at the very minimum, you must, you must, must meet on a regular, consistent basis. 
my recommendation to you is once a week. Meet once a week. Sit down, find the time, find the day. Don't leave it, do it. Every single week. Now in your meeting, we've talked about this enough. Teach them the word of God. It has to be the centerpiece of what you're doing. Teach them the word. Now, it requires a few things of you. That means that you have to be reading your Bible. That means you have to be praying for your disciple. And also requires that you have to be learning from smarter people too. You have to be learning. You have to be the learner. And ultimately, we're disciples of Christ. That means that you have to, be, you have to know your Bible. You have to know it. I'm not telling you you have to have it all memorized. I'm not telling you you have to know every single doctrine. I'm not saying you have to have a perfect articulation of every single doctrine. But you have to have a significantly robust understanding of what Scripture says. A mature understanding of what Scripture says. One thing that you can do in the very first meeting, share your testimony. Share your testimony. It's no secret. You both are Christians. You, you want to be discipled or you are discipling. Share your testimony with these people. You have no idea what's going on in their lives yet. Some of you have really fantastic stories of coming to know Christ. All of you do. The, the fact that, that you were hating God at some point in your life and now somehow, supernaturally, you love him. What happened in between? What happened? We want to know that story. I don't want the 30-second version where you say, yeah, I came to know Christ when I was 18 years old, and here we are. What happened? What did your life look like before? What did it look, how, did, how did Christ actually save you? And what does it look like now? Tell them the sin. Tell them the, the grievances. Tell them the, the persecution. Tell them what happened. Be vulnerable. It requires you to be vulnerable, and it requires you to be humble. Humble enough to share the, the, the muck that happened in your life. Because ultimately... You may share what's happening in your life, and that may have maybe the exact same thing that that person's going through in their life. And then you get the awesome opportunity to hear the question, hey, how did you get through that? Hey, what happened? And you get to say, well, let's go look at the Bible. <laughs> what an awesome opportunity. Please don't waste those. Number five, share with one another what has been happening in your life behind the curtain. What's happening behind the curtain, behind the scenes, in your personal life, in your marriages, with your kids, in your job? What are you struggling with? What is your sin? What are those things? We, we can't skip out. We, we can't let ourselves get away with sin. We can't do it. That's how you stay in, in spiritual infancy, is by, is by letting us live in secret sin. Don't do it. Next, address the sin in their life. One of the worst things that you can say to someone when they say, yeah, I've been struggling with this thing. Oh, it's okay. It's fine. No, it's not. It's not fine. It's heinous to God and he hates it. Don't lie to people. Don't lie to them and say, oh, it's okay. You know, it, you know it just take some time. No, no, they need to kill that that day. It needs to be done. Mortify it. Get rid of it. Never think about it again. Repent. That's really what it, repent. Turn from your sin. Turn to God. There is no an option. There's not an option for sin. 
Don't, don't, don't let them live in it. It's not an option. Admonish it, rebuke it, correct their, their faulty understanding of Scripture maybe. Don't let them, don't lead them astray. And in fact, you, you will be held accountable for that. It, it, by letting someone live in, in sin that you know that they will ultimately, what God says, maybe will condemn them to hell. Don't let them live there. Don't let them do it. Next, pray with one another. Pray for hunger of the word. Pray to overcome sin. Praise God together. Pray for maturity in the faith. This one is one of my favorites. Live life with them. Live life with them. Invite them to your home for dinner. Their whole family. Get them over there. I don't care if they have one kid or 15. Get them all over to your house. Be hospitable to one another. Show them. You may have other families that have young kids that are struggling with their children. Invite them. Show them, hey, this is how we do things. This is what our structure is in the evenings. This is what we care about. This is what we're intentional with our children about. Teach them. Unfortunately, there's not a great manual on parenting, I'm sure. I don't know. haven't looked. But I know it's not easy. And I know that parents are, some of you parents are starving for help. I don't know how to take care of these kids. Learn. Ask someone. Because what's, the, what's, the, what's worse? That, that you, you have uncomfortable conversations and learn how to parent or that you waste 18 years with your children and they never know, come to know the Lord? What's worse? Do everyday tasks with them. Go grocery shopping with them. I remember when I was in college and, and I, had, I had Young Life guys and I say, we're hanging out, but I gotta go to the grocery store. And we go to the grocery store. We go hang out. And some of those, some of those conversations that we had in the grocery store were some of the better conversations that I've had with those children. It, it, they're, they're wonderful. Go land, invite them over to your house. Volunteer, volunteer them for landscaping. I, I, you can do those things. Shovel snow with them. Go, go attend sporting events with them. Some of you have children that have sports. Invite them to come along and watch your kids' sports with you. One of the biggest things, serve the Lord with them. Go down to Target Dayton with them. Evangelize with them. Encourage them to start serving at church in some capacity. Encourage them to attend other Bible studies. Men's group, women's group, throughout the week, life groups. And lastly is having accountability. Are they showing up on Sunday? Because not only has, has God given us discipleship, but he's also given us preaching. The, the, the exaltation of his word, the preaching of his word, we must be here together. Hebrews tells us, don't neglect to meet with the saints, as some do. Don't neglect. Be here. Figure out why they weren't. Oh, I was sick. That's fine. I didn't feel like coming today. Admonish them. That's not okay. That's not living the Christian life. That, that, is, that is trying to coast into the kingdom. It's not what Christ calls us to do and in being available to them. Getting a call at, at 3 o'clock in the morning is unsettling. But you want to be available. You want to be available to go and run. Because as we live the Christian life, it's not promised to be easy. In fact, it's promised to be very, very hard. And we're going to incur trials and temptations. And when you get the, when you get the call at 3 o'clock in the morning hey, this happened, I need you to be here. 
you can put your shoes on and you can run. Because you know them, you love them, you've taught them, and you don't, you don't have to, to, to waffle on what the word of God says because you know it, because you've been teaching it to them for months on end. Please, disciple one another. It is not optional for any of you. Please be taught. Please teach others. It is the plea of scripture and it is my plea this morning. Teach one another in the word of God to all maturity. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time that we could come to you and and look through your word that we might delve into the riches of it. God, affect the change in our heart that we might disciple one another, that we might teach one another, that we might live life with one another. God, we, we, we're certainly sinful. We're certainly missing the mark. Change our hearts. Turn us to you. Bring us to a fuller knowledge of who you are by your word, that we might praise you and honor you with our works and honor you with our lips, and that it might be the, to the praise and the glory of your grace. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.